Hey, podcasters. Welcome to Amassed Community Talks, where Amassed founder and CEO, Boaz Gilad, speaks with business professionals each week who inspire growth and change in their industry. Amassed Community Talks is sponsored by Amassed, the go-to wholesale marketplace connecting the construction industry with local suppliers. Check us out on amassed.com. Uh, thanks for being with us. That's very exciting for us. Uh, Laura, we really appreciate it. Where, where am I catching you? Uh, at home, uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. cool. Excellent. Yeah. Exciting. Uh, so again, thanks for finding uh, the time to speak with us. And I appreciate uh, Bram for the help. Also, um, I'll give you a little background about uh, Amass if you got a chance. I know you spoke with uh, Bram, but I really want to hear with you. The idea behind the Instagram Live is that, that we take this material and we keep on using it on different social media, whether Twitter, Instagram, etc., LinkedIn, is to expose people to a different way of looking at construction and material. Mm-hmm. Uh, I myself, as the CEO of Amass, uh, has 20 years of uh, con- development experience. And one of the things I found is that it's a very, um, I think the best way to say it, I've used in the past, is that it's a lonely industry. People, especially the typical contractor, not people who are very high end, mm-hmm. they use the same material, the, the same uh, patterns again and again, because that's what they know. And one of the commitment that uh, Amassed has as a marketplace for construction material is to expose people to different way of thinking, to different material, to different way of doing work, so they can broaden their ability and they get better. If, it, if it's environmentally better, if it's, uh, you know, work-wise, saving time, saving money, et cetera. So, Laurie, why don't you tell people a little bit uh, okay. who you are, what's your okay. experience, anything? Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm a retired uh, architect now. I worked for uh, the past or 31 years, four months, and three days for uh, Gensler uh, in San Francisco, though during my time at Gensler, I worked in multiple offices, Seattle, Los Angeles, and I did projects uh, abroad in uh, Shanghai and Beijing, Taiwan. That's a huge job. Uh, Bangkok. It's a huge firm, whoever doesn't know. And, yeah. yeah, when I started, it was a small firm of about 400 plus people, and now it's... Small firm, yeah. Yeah, now it's yeah. about six, I don't know, you lose count. It's uh, It was between yeah. five and 6,000 people with 40-something offices. Uh, though in the past year, obviously, uh, like many firms, it's uh, downsized a bit. And um, why? Why? Interesting, because so I'm, we'll see how the conversation is going to go. But yeah, um, why would someone use such a large uh, architectural firm? Just uh, well, from your experience, for being there for so long. Yeah. Well, um, initially, it's because uh, well, it's because of the reputation. Uh, it's because of we were many locations, so large corporations like to have a company that was located in multiple cities or could work globally and they weren't a slave to a particular location or a particular time zone. And that, you know, that kind of uh, helped us a lot. Yeah. 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 And um, how would you, looking back, you have such a, a broad exposure to how things have, how would you say things have changed from the time you started till you retired or uh, even now? Oh. <laughs> Well, they, yeah. they changed radically during all my entire work career because I literally, you know, started working with, you know, paper and pencil and paper and yeah. uh, saw the whole uh, evolution of um, integration of uh, computers and now, you know, computer modeling and uh, technology, uh, which is now everywhere. And 
And it's it's great. I mean, it's initially it was uh, it was interesting. Initially, it was a barrier. Only the largest firms really could afford the technology because it was so expensive. And yeah, now, for years, for, yeah. for years, I remember my mom had the tilted table in our in her bedroom yeah. that she has to like roll the oh, roller yeah. up down and change you know blueprints on it because she oh, was yeah. you know her architecture exactly yeah yeah so yeah. now yeah so uh, now everything's digital and everything's relatively inexpensive which is great because now a, a small two or three person firm can put together a proposal and uh when it lands on a client's desk it could you know it could look as good or uh, better than anything that a, a thousand person firm could put together so mm -hmm. the thousand person what, what would you say uh, working on those things yeah Yes. So from the contractor perspective of the client, whether it's a developer or uh, yeah. whomever is hiring the architect, what would you say is the biggest shift in the last 10 years in, in the world of architect? The, probably the biggest shift is from the traditional uh, siloed approach of the architect, the contractor, the developer, everybody uh, being uh, kind of a separate entity. Uh, now they're... Uh, more joint venture, everything's integrated. Uh, the, when I first started out of school, the idea of you know getting bids and opening bids, physically opening bids and announcing them in a room and uh, was uh, the traditional approach. And uh, I would say that probably through most of my the last few decades, the contractor is on board or a you know or the contractors are interviewed. Uh, before the uh, design, at the very, even probably before the design process begins. Really? And I think that, because you were, I, my success has been that I've worked so closely with contractors. And as a detailer, uh, it's been great because you learn from them and then your documentation is relevant. You know, the, if you separate things, if you finish an entire set of CDs and then you randomly send it out to a bunch of contractors, they all have different abilities as well. And they're all gonna look at the exact same detail and have a different interpretation of it. So it's definitely the, the collaborative nature, uh, which I've been working with for decades, is now the norm. And, uh, but they probably towards the end of my career, the biggest shift is uh, that there's no, there's no hierarchy. It's, it's very lateral that the, the yeah. owner, the contractor, the developer, the architect, the designer, all the consultants tend to work uh, more laterally than uh, hierarchically, which uh, yeah. makes for a much better product. You know, it's interesting because one of the, I think the major reason why uh, I started Amass and we, you know, we, we, we're trying to bring transparency and more integrity to an industry that, from my experience as a residential developer in New York City, mm -hmm. uh, ha has very little of that, very little transparency, very little integrity, and still mm -hmm. in the small-scale buildings and the yeah. up to, I would say, 80-unit non-union jobs, yeah. uh, it's, you buy from the same contract, you say yeah. the same lumber yards or the same yeah. plumbing supply if you're a plumber. Yeah. Uh, you don't get opportunity to expose yourself to new material and new opportunities mm -hmm. from buying who's giving you better service or better price. Mm -hmm. that are, it's actually interesting uh, that you're saying that as time progressed and technology was brought to the space, there was more integration, there was more, uh, more of a kind of democratic experience in the process mm -hmm. and partnership. Yes. So I hope it's mm -hmm. trickled down because yes. in the material world, we're, we're new. And uh, many, mm -hmm. many people I speak with and I say, hey, 
uh, join a mass uh, and you can expose yourself to other opportunities to buy material and then try different things. They like the idea, but Yes. They're not there mentally yet. They don't understand no. that the world is going that direction. Yeah. yeah well, I could say that a lot of uh, a lot of architects and designers uh, throughout their career, it's basically built on often a palette of materials that they have used and they're most familiar with. And you can look at many you know named designers, and you can sometimes recognize them by just looking at the building, the, material. the interior material. And uh, the advantage to that is that you can spend years. Uh, developing those details and you can modify the detail to meet the uh, installation. The, the challenge with new materials is that uh, they're unproven and, uh, and part of a refutation is the quality of your design and often the quality of how it holds up. So when there's this fabulous new material, you really want to use it, but you have to convince the, you know, the, the, the client that, and the contractor that it's unproven. And they're, yeah. you know, which is a which is a big problem, right? Because then problem. you're basically killing innovation. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So you have to have the advantage. I, most of my career was in corporate interior, so at least we were limited in our exposure. I mean, obviously you clad a building, and if material fails, then you've got millions of square feet of product that's exposed. But if you put up a, a finish and it's exposed to the sun or it delaminates. Uh, worst case scenario is you've got a room or an area that needs to be reworked. Uh, and that's sometimes a, a risk that a client is willing to take. And re re I've yeah. worked mostly commercial, but residential, residential, they're, they're generally on the high end, of course, they're more uh, acceptable of experimentation. And, uh, mm -hmm. and they generally aren't as budget conscious as uh, commercial clients. Yeah, I think I think the uh, higher end level because uh, as a developer again, what ran many times the show is first of all the budget. Can I yeah. afford selling those units later on to right. someone for the price going to cost me? But also, uh, am I exposed to lawsuits if it's a condo building, etc.? So if I find a new innovative system with the insulation, water uh, resistant yeah. issues, or uh, you know heating, cooling, etc., and it's not going to work perfectly, I'm going to have to deal with many lawsuits from buyers and sometimes it really kills the innovation. So that's kind of like a, a tug of war that is really out there right. uh, that you have yeah. to find a balance. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I was going to say that the, uh, the, the residential side is much more litigious than the commercial side because basically you build a building and when you walk away from it uh, as commercial side, you have the building owner and then you have all the people who sublet from it. But if you're doing a residential development and you're selling individual units, you're walking away and suddenly there's, you know, 50 or 100 people and you're their target every time something goes wrong. So uh, it's been a, it's 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 probably been the biggest uh, deterrent to innovation on a, a residential yeah. side. Um, so you, you're saying that technology and main computer, if I understood you correctly, made a, the biggest shift in your career. Uh, I think so, if yeah. you could if you could jump 10 years from now. Uh, and kind of be a future, exactly. Thanks. Oh, please. <laughs> um, uh, There's a reason I retired. Then... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, that it's perfect because then you don't yeah. have to worry about what you're going to say because uh, um, it's just a prediction, right? Um, yeah, sure. So, what would you say is the next jump uh, from a uh, from a development, from a innovation perspective in the world of construction, in the world of development, real estate development? Yeah. From from the 
development side, I think that the what I just noticed the other day when I was driving across town is the post-COVID reinterpretation of the uh, commercial environment. Oh, now, say more the, about that. That's fascinating. Well, well the, yeah. the last year is like you, you know, downtown is a ghost town. And yep. uh, New York is the same, and, correct. You know, it's like the, you know, the biggest buildings are all uh, virtually empty. I mean, there's, there's very, very little people getting in and out of buildings. I mean, the logistics of just getting in and out of a building uh, involving elevators during COVID yep. is so a logistic nightmare. So I think it's going to be very the, different. You think it's the death of skys uh, skyscrapers? Oh, no, 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 no. They're there. They'll always be there. The way they're used, the way they're... Uh, the way they're used is going to be different, I believe. You know, uh, we saw a mini version of this, I think, uh, post 9-11 when, you know, people, you know, suddenly were able to, you know, they thought with the loss of the World Trade Center that suddenly there'd be this big demand for commercial space. Well, within minutes, most of the buildings or the companies that had been in that center had co-located and they were up and running and it took years for the commercial uh, office building uh, market even in New York, to regenerate. Well, now we have, you know, millions of square feet all over the world that are underutilized. And, and of course, all the, the, the commercial, commercial businesses that sped off of those invigorated downtowns, they're all going out of business or they're closed because there's nobody down there anymore. So, yeah, yeah. so there'll be a lot of subletting. We, we saw that back in 2000, San Francisco, 2000, after the what is it the dot-com bubble the bubble yeah, exactly yeah, the bubble. it's like suddenly people who had you know built massive spaces at ridiculous rents and ridiculous uh budgets were suddenly out of business and so there was a huge growth industry in redesigning office spaces as they read because they had the lease they had to sublet them so everything we had designed before not everything but many of the spaces we had designed before we were redesigning them for new clients, it's because we're subletting the same space. So, uh, but I, I see that sort of uh, here again. Is it the you know people? So the, the there, question, people will always question, want to go to an office, right? People all. Do you think so? Do you, do you believe that people will, uh, whether it's going to take six months, a year, a vaccine, okay. whatever it is, we're going to go back to traditional nine to five, five days a week in an office? Uh, no, no, not not completely. Uh, but more than, you know, more, obviously, we're not doing it at all now. Yeah, but yeah. I think that, the, you know, people have always liked the idea of working from home. Um, and there was uh, a hesitancy to do it because they felt that it was disruptive. Now, everybody's working from home. They're Zooming nonstop. And mm -hmm. it's not, it's okay. But given the alternative, it should be, that should be the supplement. And because, uh, you know, and the office space, you know, just before COVID was changing radically. I mean, that was very, and again, because rents were going up, spaces were more uh, limited. So we were, yep. workspace design was in analyzing how people worked and what was the best solution for it. And, uh, and with it, you know, it's like nobody has an assigned desk and nobody has an assigned phone. Everybody is mobile all the time. Well, that's why the, the shift to working at home actually went as well as it did because people were already halfway there. But going yeah. back to the office, there's still no substitute for, you know, brainstorming in a room and getting yeah. all together and the firsthand contact. It's uh, that's still uh, 
it's, you know, it's the reason I stayed with a large firm for so long is that I never wanted to lock myself in a room and just design by myself. I've always felt that the best work always comes from collaboration. And so yeah. I think we'll move back to that. But, but these the, the question also, now will, will change use. Yeah, the, the, the question is also, will people can be able to afford the crazy rents you see in the big cities if uh, my average employee shows up only three or three and a half days a week? Because I think there'll be much more uh, fluidity in the way you do your schedule. Right. So, uh, right. you know, so one of the reasons people go to work is because, uh, yes, the brainstorming and everything, but a lot of it is that we, I think, with, with more of a social pressure to, I have to show up. I have to show my boss that I showed up uh, I think it's going no, to be more effective uh, um, through technology and Zoom. Not everybody. I, but no, I think a lot of people were over that even before the COVID. That, uh, <laughs> I was very uh, regimented in my work hours, but uh, I yeah. can't say that that's uh, universal. Uh, yes. you, you know, I always, you know, you know, came early, worked late, like most architects. But well, you're, uh, you're probably passionate about what you did, yes. and you also were uh, rigorous about what yeah. you did. And but the average middle, uh, lower middle management, not always. When you look at a company well, that has, yeah. you know, 150,000 employees, not everybody right, is, yeah. you know, has that commitment and that integrity you're talking right. about, right? So, yeah. yeah. So the the question will be, will they be able to afford that rent? And if not. How would landlords, how will buildings that are very expensive to maintain, to, to keep the land will, uh, will be interesting. Um... I think the market will just have to adjust. I mean, it just, it, it's like the rental market in San Francisco, there's a lot of talk about how the rents keep are going down, but uh, they, they were overpriced. And uh, if the, the market always finds the right price. So uh, the, the people who will suffer are, the developers who developed a project with a target rent that they can't go below. You know, it's like the profits will be less, but people will still yeah, rent. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think that the, the markets will always kind of work themselves out, but the rents mm -hmm. will, because after, you know, 2000, the rents dropped significantly and it took many, many years for them to get back up uh, to those levels. And, uh, and it's, it's a, just a correction uh, in that respect. But beyond yeah. just the financial rent part of it, it's the usage of the space, which I think is going to be really interesting because people are going to have to rethink uh, how you use the office. You know? And I think that people are not going to need necessarily as much space as they had before. And uh, so they might, you know, they might take less space, but eventually maybe some of the, the rents will, will go back up. Up and down, because in the Bay Area it was all. When you say use it, just want to then, So, are you looking more of the kind of uh, share space mentality that we work over the world? You um, think that's a direction the, from a design perspective, the world is going towards more flexible spaces? Uh, well, I think that those will be useful, uh, but I think that the flexibility will be, uh, still occur in traditional companies. But I don't, and for for the the startups, they'll they'll probably go through the the we work phase, but I think ultimately people like uh, to have an office, you know, and I don't think yeah. that offices will and a cubicle on privacy. Yeah. 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 What, it will, what, the, what the, uh, the working at home thing is going to do, and since it's, and part, particularly because now it's so global, is it's going to um, open up new areas for development. You know, like obviously San Francisco, New York, the big cities, 
they may take a hit. But the second and third tier cities, which I thought back in like 2000 when everything was tech and it was going to be decentralized. And back then people couldn't find spaces in New York. So people would open a company in New York, but all of their, or in San Francisco, but all their staff was in Salt Lake City or was in Portland, yeah. Oregon. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be, there may be really great spaces in, you know, suburban uh, old towns like you know in the northeast mill towns that have these great buildings but they never really made the transition from being a factory to being a, a trendy workspace you know it's it's yeah. you know so, so like the, use the williamsburg effect but it goes to, to connecticut or to vermont or outside of boston yeah so the next the next uh, uh epidemic will be a hipstery so you think that there's a possibility or probability that uh, we are going to see less of a magnet to San Francisco, L.A., New York, the big cities, uh, and then Miami maybe, and then um, more of kind of the 30, 40 uh, small urban experiences in mid-middle, yeah. like Austin I, I, and other places yeah. like that? Yeah, well, I think, that, I think yeah. that's quite possible. Uh, I don't think the, you know, obviously the cities are not going to die, but I think they're not going to feel the pressure that they did uh, before the pandemic, you know, the, the exodus, because, you know, people, people wanted to work a place that they couldn't afford to live there. So now they don't, and actually you can see that, you know, corporations are, are relocating from, mm -hmm. uh, because they realized that it's, you know, they came to, they came to the Bay Area because of the venture capital and of the uh, the work staff was educated and very techy, uh, but now people aren't uh, tied to to that as much anymore. Because the geographic location. Yeah, their their flexibility is much greater, and so once he once you can travel again and get out and hang out in a cafe, I used to joke half the cafes in my neighborhood were before the pandemic were basically every desk was an office, and uh, correct, and that correct. was nice. You know, it's like you know the people who ran the cafes they should have charged rent for those tables as opposed to just you know people buy a a very expensive cup of coffee and sit there for two hours. You know, that's cheap rent. That's correct. Okay. Lori, um, Sorry. so one of the reasons I like a mask, uh, the, yes. last, the, the Instagram live is because we, 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 we never know where the conversation is going to go. So right. uh, it's great to speak about the urban thing. I know, I know from what I read a little bit that you actually specialize in uh, stairs, yeah. correct? Yep. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. then you speak on elevators all the time. So, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love stairs, uh, it, and it's just a kind of, uh, I've always been fascinated with them. And, uh, and at, at Gensler, I kind of accidentally fell into a niche where a friend of mine had trouble with one and asked me to help, and it just snowballed, and then more people asked. What's, what's more the biggest challenge with stairs? It's just what's the, the biggest challenge with stairs? Well, I don't see any of them as big challenges. I think they're fascinating, but uh, yeah. they're intimidating to people because, you know, a lot of people, especially in corporate, it's like you, 90% of your work, probably more, is a single floor, and that's your spatial thing. And this is one of the few elements in any design that breaks through the envelope. And so you have to really think about, uh, in terms of not just the, the design, the, it's the way the it's perceived experientially and uh and physically there to me they're the, the more interesting and sculptural elements of any design uh and i mostly dealt with monumental which were 
the the higher end um, you know, focus. Yeah, did you get a chance to visit uh, uh, Goldman Sachs New York office, the new office they built by any chance? No, I, I think they've been there for. Okay. But I probably if. If I didn't see it, somebody probably sent me a photograph of it. Um, yeah, it is. I think it's one of the most beautiful stairs yeah. I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Is uh, it relatively new? It was actually. Yeah, I think I know. I yeah. think I know which one you're talking about. But uh, it's exactly what you're speaking about. There's an element of art and sculpture yeah. to the stairs that yeah. separating the lobby when you get into the fourth floor and you go into the Goldman Sachs offices. It's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the whoever was the I don't know who the architect is, but. It's it, it's a major artistic statement. Lori, thank you. Okay. I really appreciate yeah. the time you okay. spent with us. Uh, okay. It's nothing but a pleasure to okay. pick your brain uh, on a Friday to, afternoon. Didn't talk too much about materials, but you know. Exactly, but who cares? You know, we, we okay. yeah. sometimes you know it's uh, sometimes we speak about materials. Sometimes we speak about you know how do we see the future of uh, architect and design. So that's part of the fun of having this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your generous time. I'm looking forward to okay. keeping in touch. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much.